0: Take your Bibles out this morning, if you would please, and turn with me to the little book of Colossians. We're returning to our study that we began last fall as we started going passage by passage through the book of Colossians. And this morning I'd like to ask you to find chapter 3. And we're going to talk this morning on the subject matter, what Christian living is to look like. What Christian living is to look like and of course I'm addressing men on Baptist Men's Day but it is obviously also a message for all of us and uh, you know it's always hard to kind of jump midstream back into a book after you've been out of it we got out of it through the holidays and it's sort of hard to get our minds back around the book when we jump right into the middle And so what you're going to hear this morning is some old and new. I'll try to remind you of some things we've already covered. And then also we'll try to introduce some new subject matter uh, as well. But I just want to publicly also say thank you to all the men in the church who are involved in leadership positions in the men's ministry and what they do to help us out in that area of the ministry of the church, and we do want to invite our men uh, to get involved and stay involved. It's a blessing what all uh, is going on and how God is working in some of these groups. And men, as you listen to the message this morning, I really want to remind you of some of the statistics on men in the church. When dads, when husbands stay plugged in, In the church and in their own Christian faith The statistics of what happens in the lives of their family The lives of their children goes way up Children who come to faith in Christ Who stay in the faith Who who get engaged themselves in the life of the church The statistics go way up when the dad is plugged in and involved When the dad is unplugged, the statistics plummet into the basement. What happens spiritually in the life of his family? So, men, I want you to remember that as we talk about Baptist Men's Day and all across our nation how Baptist churches, many Baptist churches, celebrating Baptist Men's Day, how important it is for the men of our church to be growing. In their faith and being an example to those around them. This morning you're going to hear mainly two words. I'll I'll talk first of all this morning about our position in Christ. What God has done for us by his grace. And secondly what our priorities are to be in light of our new position in Christ. That's where we'll concentrate. Again topic what Christian living is to look like. Would you stand for the reading of God's word, please? I'll start reading in verse 1 of Colossians chapter 3. Paul says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming... Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, Bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Father, we're so grateful for these words and how these words challenge us about the Christian life. Lord, again, we thank you for making us new creations in Christ. Where 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. Lord, help us to walk in that newness. And may we encourage one another and pray for one another and lift one another up. Lord, help our eyes. To be firmly fixed on you. We know that everything in the world can so easily pull us aside from what we should be about. But Lord help us to maintain our proper priorities and focus. May our lives look like Jesus would have them to look. Lord I pray for the men in our church. That you would encourage them and help them and strengthen them as they walk through this world and lead their families. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. With the uh, Super Bowl coming next week, Uh, Bear with me, I would like to open this morning with an illustration from the world of sports. Bill Cowher took over as the coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers back in 1992. Of course, today he's obviously a commentator with uh, with NFL networks giving news about NFL. But he took over as coach in 1992 for the Pittsburgh Steelers and he quickly showed himself to be a man with a future. The Steelers made the playoffs each of his first several seasons as coach and went to Super Bowl Thirty in 1996. Now in the first service I reminded the Wormy family that in that Super Bowl the Dallas Cowboys defeated them. <laughs> One thing that made Cower an effective coach was that he focused on his priorities. In Sports Illustrated, writer Tim Crothers writes, and I quote He says, after almost every game, every practice, Pittsburgh Steelers head coach Bill Cower drives straight home to be with his wife, Kay, and their three daughters. He doesn't do ads for cars or frozen yogurt. He exists inside his two passions, family and football, exclusive of everything else. Crothers goes on to write, Cower is so focused that one afternoon he was seated next to a woman at a civic luncheon and politely asked, Ma'am, now what is it again that you do? She looked at him and said, I am the mayor of Pittsburgh. <laughs> As the article went on to say, granted, it's a good thing to know who your mayor is, but Cower shows us one essential uh, truth of life. A person cannot focus upon everything. Perhaps the primary danger for us in the western world today is getting preoccupied, having our focus on entertainment and materialism and yes, sports. And we have the wrong focus, we have the wrong priorities. You know it used to be said that we are not to be so heavenly minded that we are no earthly good. I'm not sure that could be an accusation against us today. I think today our danger might be that we are so earthly focused that we're no heavenly good. 1 John chapter 2, John reminds us that we're not to love the world nor the things of the world because this world and all that is in this world is passing away. Men, this world is not a good investment for you. This world and everything in this world is passing away. And in the meantime, if we focus on this world and the things of this world, that will dilute our devotion to Christ. Now, as we've already seen as we started working our way through the book of Colossians last fall, Paul has been writing to them, urging them to accept No substitutes for Christ. Christ is the end of the law on the one hand and on the other hand he is wisdom from God embodied in man. The God man, the Lord Jesus. He's the one who created the universe and chapter 1 reminds us that not only is he the one who created the universe but he is the one who sustains the universe. It is by his power, his hand and his word that he holds all things together. And so the Christians at Colossae need to make certain that, that there is nothing in their lives that is robbing them from their proper preoccupation with Jesus Christ whatever takes them away from their focus upon Christ is nothing more than a cheap substitute and cheap substitutes don't last and they don't satisfy And so in four brief chapters in this book, Paul is reminding them of what their true focus and their true priority is to be. He points out, here is who we are in Christ. And here is what we have in Christ. And so if this is who we are in Christ and what we have in Christ, what should our lives be about? What should our lives look like? Well, our lives ought to be properly focused upon Christ. Now, men, what I want us to see this morning is how following Jesus Christ is to change everything about your attitude and your actions. First of all, with me this morning, I want you to see that we have a new position. We have a new position. Read with me again verses 1 through four, uh, through 4. Paul says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. And the tense is, keep seeking. Keep seeking the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above Not on things that are on earth For you have died And your life is hidden with Christ in God When Christ who is your life appears Then you also will appear with him in glory Paul uses simple indicative statements here Statements of fact To describe what has happened in the believer's life What has happened as a result of redemption And men he wants us to see that our position in life and our position in eternity has changed We are not the same anymore We were in Adam, the first man, and being in Adam we die, but our position in the sight of God has changed. Now we're in the new Adam, the, the second Adam that is, Christ, the Lord Jesus. And because of his redemption, what he's done in us, our position is radically altered. And he gives four statements to describe this. To describe our new position First of all he says we have been raised up with Christ When a person becomes a believer God sees them as being joined to the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ You see we were all in Adam When Adam sinned the whole human race sinned Adam was humanity When he sinned we all sinned in a sense But as we were in Adam so too are believers in Christ As we were in Adam so also now in Christ The death, the burial, the resurrection are in essence applied to the life of the believer. When we trust Christ, God applies everything related to Christ to our personal account. Christ becomes our substitute. And therefore, when he died, we died. When he rose, we rose. That's how God sees it. Now, of course, for us, the benefit is still future, but God sees it as already done. I want you to turn back to Romans chapter 8 to see this. Romans chapter 8, and I want to look at verse 30. Romans 8 verse 30, And, and I want you to see this Uh, This beautiful golden chain of redemption and how it's all tied together. Paul says there, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now the tenses in Greek make it clear that God sees this as already done. God predestined a people for himself from eternity past Those whom he predestined Paul says he called And it's clear that he's speaking here in this instance of an irresistible call Because look at what he goes on to say He says those whom he called he justified." In other words, those called in this way do indeed respond to that call because they are justified. Not everybody is justified, but these are justified. But he's not done yet. He finishes by saying whom he justified, these he also glorified. You see, it is an unbroken chain of certainties from eternity past to eternity future, what God has done in the lives of his children. What Paul is saying here in Colossians 3 is that believers have been raised up with Christ. Now the Greek word if in verse 1 is better translated since. Since you have been raised up with Christ. We have been raised up with Christ. It is as good as done. Christ was raised to be seated at the right hand of God and he has life. Christ has been raised up to eternal life never to die again and through him we have eternal life and we enjoy that eternal life even now and that means that the sting of death is gone for the believer. We'll still go through death but the sting of death, the fear of death the bondage of death is gone for the believer. Well, he goes on to give a second statement about our new position. And that second statement is in verse 3. Paul points out that we have died. Your old man, the man without Christ, is dead. Now, folks, we have an ordinance in the church that illustrates this. It's called baptism. Baptism is a rich symbol of our faith and what occurs in a Christian's life. As the believer goes under the water, it, it is a symbol, a picture of being united with Christ in his death. As the believer comes up out of the water, it's a picture of the believer being united with Christ in his resurrected life it is also a symbol of our death to the old man our old life and a resurrection to a new way of life that culminates in heaven one day and obviously too it is a symbol of the washing away of sin and so baptism is a very very rich symbol of our faith it is a it is a picture a statement of the gospel in picture form we might say But think again for a moment about the old man who is buried with Christ. Do you remember how you lived when sin and Satan were your masters? The old man did what he wanted to do and how he wanted to do it. The old man was governed by the desires of his flesh. You thought about what do I want and that's pretty much how you lived your life. But if you are indeed in Christ that life is now over. You are a new creation in Christ and your life BC before Christ no longer exists. Now yes, you still have that old flesh nature and we'll talk later about the challenge of that. But the believer also has a new nature, a new nature that you did not previously have. But you are to see that that old man is to be dead We have died We've died with Christ Jesus remember told his disciples If any man wants to come after me Jesus said essentially you've got to die You've got to deny yourself Pick up your cross and follow after me We have died A third statement Your life is hidden with Christ in God Your life is hidden with Christ in God He mentions that also in verse 3. You are tucked away for safekeeping. You are preserved and hidden from the judgment of unbelievers that is to come one day. Men, what do we do with our valuables? We hide our valuables, we protect them, we tuck them away, We, we, we take care of our treasures. Well, God has tucked you away, you're hidden. Out of the way of danger, you are God's very own possession. Ultimate danger cannot overtake you. Ultimate danger. Because you're God's and you're hidden with Christ in God and one of these days the unbelief of the world will be exposed and judgment will be unleashed but that is not your destiny because again your life is hidden with Christ in God and that means where Christ is you will be Remember Jesus' words in John 14 when he said, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am there, ye may be also. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. And your destiny as a child of God is to be with him one day Face to face you will see him as he is A fourth statement Paul gives here is you will be revealed with Christ in glory He says that in verse 4 You will be revealed with Christ in glory At the second coming When Christ is unveiled The word speaks of of an open public display When Christ is unveiled for all to see We are told in the Bible That two things are going to happen First, the nations are going to weep On account of him Everybody is going to see him For who he is The king of kings and Lord of lords and it will be eternally too late for multitudes they will weep but something else is going to happen there will be another unveiling the unveiling of his saints his saints will be with him we will forever be with him In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 Paul says, but I would not have you To be ignorant brethren Concerning them which are asleep That you sorrow not even as others Who have no hope For if we believe that Jesus Died and rose again Even so them also Who sleep in Jesus Will God bring with him For this we say unto you by the word Of the Lord that we which are alive And remain unto the coming of the Lord Shall not prevent them which are asleep For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we which are alive and remain shall be called up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. 1 Corinthians 15 essentially addresses the same thing. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, that's Adam, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven, that's Jesus. I tell you this brothers, flesh and blood, he writes, cannot inherit the kingdom of God nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold I tell you a mystery, we shall not all sleep because there will be a generation alive when Jesus comes so we won't all die but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound sounds like First Thessalonians 4 doesn't it the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed for this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality then shall come to pass the saying that is written death is swallowed up in victory folks this is this is one of the passages that has led me recently to change some of my views on the chronology of end time events and what happens You see, in traditional premillennialism, you have death still happening for another 1,000 years after the return of Christ. Now, granted, lifespans are longer, but you still have death. Death after the return of Christ, but not according to this passage. According to this passage, when Jesus Christ returns, what happens to death? Death is swallowed up in victory. Death is no more. And John adds in 1 John 3 by saying we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. And so in these brief succinct phrases Paul has described our new position or our new status in a very matter of fact kind of way. Now men I want you to see today that all of this is what God has done for you in Christ. You are raised up with Christ, you have died, your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ is revealed, you will also be revealed with Him in glory. Now I think all of us here today would certainly have to rejoice over what God has done for us in Christ. Amen? God is good. God has provided for his saints both now and forevermore. It is an absolute miracle what happens at the new birth. The greatest miracle of all, how God changes a man's heart. But what I don't want you to conclude is that we have to wait until heaven For all of the implications of the new birth to be worked out Now true, we don't receive the full inheritance until heaven We don't completely win the battle over sin and Satan until heaven But salvation has all kinds of implications as to how life is supposed to be impacted right now by salvation. And that's what I want to turn and address now. In light of our new position, how shall we live? What is Christian living supposed to look like? And so secondly, let's Focus in on that we are to live with new priorities. We are to live with new priorities. Now it's interesting when he was talking about our our position, our new position in Christ. He was using simple indicative statements. Now he's going to turn from simple indicative statements. And he's going to start using a series of imperatives. What are imperatives? Imperatives are commands. Men, he's talking about things here that should not be considered as optional. These aren't suggestions he's about to make, okay? These are commands. A first new priority that he concentrates on is the fact that we are to have a new mindset. We're to have a new mindset. In verses 1 and 2, again, he says, If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. He says here, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Again, it's a command and it's ongoing. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. J.B. Lightfoot said on one occasion of this, he said, "You You must not only seek heaven, you must also think heaven. The believer who has died with Christ and who has been raised up with Christ is to be occupied with Jesus. And occupied with things pertaining to the kingdom of God. The man of the world pursues the things of this world. He's locked into this world in his thinking. He loves the world. He loves this world, the things of this world. And consequently he worries about things of this world. Why? Because this world is all that he has. He's living for this current age. That's all he's living for. But daily we have to have the right focus in our thoughts and affections as men of God. You know, we typically pursue and think about what we value, don't we? That's what we typically, whatever we value is what our lives will be about. Folks, Jesus told twin parables on one occasion about the kingdom of God, how valuable it is and how it is worth all of your attention. He said a man was digging out in a field and uncovered a treasure and out of joy he he covered that treasure back up and he went and sold all that he had so he could buy that field and own that treasure. Jesus says that's how valuable the kingdom of God is. He gave up everything so he could possess it. He said again it's like a pearl merchant seeking Fine pearls. Upon finding one, a pearl of great value, he went and sold everything that he had so he could buy that one pearl. That's how valuable the kingdom of God is. Imagine that. Jesus, the one who came from heaven to earth, the one who knows What is waiting for us on the other side. He tells us that it is worth sparing no expense so that we can obtain heaven. That's how valuable it is. But how do we seek the things above and set our minds on the things above? I think it must surely begin with daily setting aside time to spend with the Lord guys this is not going to happen unless you intentionally determine it you've got to get alone with God you've got to get in his word you've got to get in prayer by the way every quarter we lay out little devotional books out there that are great starters now I happen to think those that's not where your Bible study should end Because that's not the intention of those. But you ought to get those just by way of helping you with the discipline. Go through that devotional. Read the Bible passages related to it. And spend time every day with the Lord. Seeking the things that are above. Don't just get up and get ready and fly out the door and be about your day. And go wide open and then stop and crash in the bed that night. Set aside some time that you are purposely seeking the the mind and heart of God and the things of the Lord. Memorize a verse of Scripture every week. I know of one guy that memorizes a verse of Scripture every single day. And he's been doing that for years. Every week, memorize a new verse. Read Christian classics. Now I know men tell me all the time that guys don't like to read. If you don't like to read, get some of these Christian books on tape. Get the Bible on tape. And in your commute to work back and forth or school back and forth, pop that in and listen to it. Help your mind to dwell on things that are above. Seek the things that are above. Seek the Lord. Again, Paul is commanding that here. Men, get in a Sunday school class here. Get in men's ministry. Get in the different small groups. As Seth said, iron sharpens iron. Help one another in this journey together. But men, you've got to make a deliberate and a conscious choice every day. Because if you don't, you're just going to drift. Secondly, related to our new priorities. He points out in verses 5 and following that we are to live with repentance. We are to live with repentance. Verse 5 mentions things that have to do with sexual sin. He says, immorality, impurity, passion... Evil desire. Now scholars are in agreement that Paul is addressing all of the sexual immorality that was rampant in his day in the Greek and the Roman culture. But guess what? It's rampant in our culture today too, isn't it? Sexually, Christians are to be different from those in the world. Your Christian faith is to impact and govern your sexual activity. Your Christian faith is to impact and govern your sexual activity. Men, go back through the book of Judges and read the story in the book of Judges about Samson. Think about Samson, called to be one of the judges in Israel. He was chosen by God, called by God. God equipped him in marvelous ways to be a judge over Israel. I mean, that guy was loaded with potential and God was with him. But you know Samson's problem? He couldn't keep his eyes and hands off of other women. strange women the Bible says that he shouldn't have had he'd say to his mom and dad go get her for I want her son you're not supposed to have her she's not one of us she's not one of the the Israelites but I want her anyway and all through Samson's life he had problems with lust and immorality and being with women he shouldn't be with and guess what happened to him in the long run it was his downfall And he lost his testimony and he lost his life. Men, why do you think God puts a story like that in the Bible? To warn us. Here lately we've heard in the news all kinds of things going on with sexual harassment and immorality. I think of all that's going on in in Hollywood that's been mentioned. All the people that we've been hearing about. I think of all this stuff going on with Matt Lauer. All of that is improper for a Christian. And folks, don't think for a moment that things like that just happen out there in the world. Because as a pastor, I I counsel with individuals and couples here in the church and in the community. And I can tell you, everything that happens out in the world is happening in the church too. And it ought not be. You know, I used to think years ago that well, I'd hear things be surprised. I, I've come to the point now that I don't think anybody could surprise me with anything anymore, what they're involved in. But then somebody comes up and boy, I, boy, that's a new one." Again, all of that's improper for the Christian. Obviously, I'm not going to be specific or graphic, but unfortunately, infidelity, pornography, premarital sex, immorality at work, in the work environment, it's all right here. This hookup culture you hear about young people, it's going on with adults, even in Christianity, even in Christian circles. And it ought not be. Whatever you hear about out in the world, you interview any pastor in town, whatever you hear about or read about in the world, I can promise you that pastor will say he encounters those very same things in his church. God's people are to be different. Through the help of the Holy Spirit, we are to cast all such things aside. Somebody will sometimes ask, is it a sin to be tempted with such things? It's not a sin to be tempted, it's a sin to act on the temptation. As someone once said, you can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can stop it from building a nest in your hair. Here again, I think I want to go back to verses 1 and 2 for a moment because if in our minds we are feeding our minds with things of the Spirit, all this kind of stuff is going to occur less and less even in our thoughts. But on the other hand, if somebody is feeding their mind with pornographic images and scenes all the time and other kinds of junk like that, then I don't think it's going to be very long Before that person is headed for trouble. You can change what you think about. And what you set your affections on. And so in that sense you can change your life by changing your thoughts. And that's where I think verse 5 here ties back in to verses 1 and 2. Now notice what he says about sins of the flesh and about greed. He says it's idolatry. You might question what he means by that, but I think it's pretty simple. All of these sins of immorality that focus on the flesh, think about it. The person doing all of that is focusing on the creation rather than the creator. What's that? Idolatry. Or you could look at it another way also. For someone to focus on these things when they know that it's disobedience to God, you are deliberately setting God aside and putting your human passions above God. Whichever way you look at it, it's still the same thing. It is idolatry. And he goes on to say, it is on account of these things that the wrath of God is coming. Now, boy, I know today, everybody just wants to talk about the love of God. Preacher, don't talk about the wrath of God. Don't talk about the anger of God, the wrath of God, or judgment of God. Everybody just wants to hear about the love of God. But folks, the Bible also talks about the wrath of God. God is a holy God. 1 Corinthians 6 says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters nor adulterers nor men who practice homosexuality nor thieves nor the greedy nor drunkards nor revilers nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such some of you were. Past tense But you were washed You were sanctified You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ And by the Spirit of our God We live in a very sexually based culture Where everybody now is saying All kinds of sexual expressions and immorality are okay But the Bible says it is not okay. God gives boundaries for sexuality, it is called marriage. And the Bible says marriage is between a man and a woman. People want to say today, Jesus never talked about that. It's it's the idea that if Jesus didn't talk about something, it must not be valid. But we believe in the continuity of the whole Word of God. The whole Word of God speaks to this. But by the way, Jesus did speak to this matter. Read Matthew 19. When he was asked about marriage, you know what he did? He carried the discussion back to Genesis 1 and 2 when God created Adam and Eve and joined them together. Marriage is the place for sexual expression. Women need to throw out the Fifty Shades of Grey type books and men need to throw out some of their magazines or whatever internet activity on both sides. Change your thinking. I wish I had more time this morning, but verse 8 deals with things like anger and slander and verse 9 talks about putting away lying. So repentance not only addresses the bad things to put aside but a life of repentance also deals with the good things that we're to put on. Verses 12 to 17 talk about things like love and kindness and humility and patience Verse 13 says, we need to bear with one another. Bear with one another. Be patient with one another. And forgive one another even as God in Christ forgave you. Think about that. Forgive as Christ forgave you. He says, above all, put on love. So again a life of repentance is dealing with both of the what we need to get rid of and what we need to put on. And again the Bible is saying here these are actions you have to take and I have to take that are based on the new position that we have in Christ. I want to close with the following story. On May 28, 1972, the Duke of Windsor, the uncrowned King Edward VIII, died in Paris. On the same evening, a television program recounted the main events of his life. Viewers watched film footage in which the Duke answered questions about his upbringing, about his brief reign... And about the eventual abdication of his crown Recalling his boyhood as Prince of Wales He said my father who was King George V Was a strict disciplinarian And sometimes when I had done something wrong He would admonish me saying My dear boy you must always remember who you are I think Paul would say a hearty amen to that. Christians, you must always remember who you are. Would you bow with me, please? This morning, remember who you are. Remember your new position in Christ if you're a believer. In remembering that, how are you living your life? Do you have the right affections? Are you seeking the things that are above? Are you setting your mind on Christ and the things above? Men, you have to do that. It's action that you have to take. Nobody can do it for you. What are you dwelling on with your mind? What are you reading? What types of entertainment do you engage in? What are you feeding your mind and your heart with? Folks, it matters because all of that is going to end up shaping who you are and what you do. What do you need to repent of? What needs more attention in your life? Like love and kindness and patience. Father, we thank you that you're not only with us in salvation. Doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. But you're with us in this process of sanctification as we live out our Christian life. God, give us wisdom, give us strength. Give us clarity in what it is in our own lives that we need to address. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.